everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. At the beginning of every new year, we're all jazzed and juiced and ready to go because facing us is a 365-day calendar, and this calendar is at the forefront of all of our thoughts. So after the holiday gift-giving and feeding, frenzying and relative-seeing and bowl-watching, we sort of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we make all of these pacts and promises with ourselves, others, with our careers, with health clubs, and even with God himself. We make pacts and promises like, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to really work less and be with my family more. I'm going to work out and wash my diet. And I'm even going to start attending church on a regular basis. And our minds are rushing and they're rumbling. And we're thinking, okay, this year is going to be my year. I'm going to be a difference maker in this 12-month span of time. I want to ask you several important questions. Number one, how would you like for this year to be the greatest year possible for you? How would you like to face this year with a new confidence, with a vision and some values that truly lead to victory? Would you like that? How would you like to know that your priorities are in sync and you're really doing what you were wired up to do? If you answered yes to any of those questions, this series of sessions is tailor-made for your life. Because we're beginning, we're launching a brand new series called First and Ten. First and Ten. Something the Cowboys had trouble with yesterday, but something we're going to talk about. Why first and 10? Because this is the first of the year, January, the first of a new year, and we're going to discuss the 10 commandments, the 10 priorities, the 10 directives of God. Because if you think about it, life is a bunch of choices and decisions. And they come to you and they come to me at such a rapid fire pace that oftentimes we make decisions without even thinking about it. We need a base. We need a foundation. We need some absolutes. And the Ten Commandments give us that. They give me something and give you something to apply, to look to in order to make these important choices and decisions that we're faced with. The intent of this series can best be explained about, oh, Christmas Eve morning in my life. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about. How many of you attended one of our three Christmas Eve services? Would you lift our hand? Everybody, all our hands are up. Yeah, a lot of people went. They were great services. I really enjoyed our Christmas Eve services. Well, I have a thing for for shiny shoes. And that morning, I was shining my shoes in my bathroom. And... EJ comes lumbering in, and he asked me this question. He said, Dad, would you mind shining my shoes? 
And I said, EJ, I've got one better than that for you, man. You go get your shoes and I'll show you how to shine your shoes. He said, okay. A little while he came back with his little loafers. And I showed him how to shine his shoes. So I was shining my shoes and he was shining his shoes. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw something that, that startled me a little bit. I, I've never seen this before in the history of shoe shining. EJ had turned his little loafers over and was shining the soles. <laughs> I said, son, what are you doing? Why are you shining the bottoms? Why are you shining the sole of your shoe? He said, well, dad, when I walk, when I lift my foot a little bit, people can't see the bottom of my shoe. <laughs> well, that's a lot like us, isn't it? We, we, we like to polish up and to shine the exterior where people can see, but our scuffed up and scarred souls, the place where we really do life, the place where we walk and talk and live and act, we, we don't really have that too polished and too shine, do we? We kind of keep that to ourselves. Well, the intent of this series is not just to polish up and shine up the exterior. It's to get down to those soulish issues because a lot of us have souls that are scarred and stained and scuffed up. And these Ten Commandments will reach us and deal with us and I believe turn our lives over and really polish some areas that we need to get at, that we need to look at and we need to really shine. There's Ten Commandments. In every session, we're going to go through three aspects of the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at the meaning of each commandment. Then, we're going to look at the mentality behind it. What was God thinking by giving us this directive? And then finally, we'll look at the implications. Or you could take this little grid and say, the what, the why, and the how. So having said all of that, let's jump right in to the Ten Commandments. And let's look at God's introductory words, because God says something to us very important in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let's do a quick pause here for a second. God's chosen people, the children of Israel, had been in Egyptian slavery for a long, long time. And God miraculously delivered them through his point man, the prince of Egypt, Moses. And Moses led by God, dodged death and deception and plagues, and he even took his people through walls of water, and finally, the entire Hebrew nation, they were kind of doing the KOA thing. They were camping at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses mountain climbs. He goes all the way to the top, receives the Ten Commandments, comes back down, and then imparts these words of truth to God's chosen people. So God comes along and says, I am the Lord your God. No debate here, a givenness, no explanation here. God is setting forth his authority as God. If God did not have the authority as God, the Ten Commandments would be just ten theories or ten suggestions. It's an awesome thing to consider 
It's an awesome thing just to contemplate that God says, I am the Lord, your God. We have a faith that's based on personal pronouns, don't we? The God of the universe, the God of creation, wants to have a personal relationship, a personal connection with every single person who's hearing my voice. And that's exciting stuff. That's good stuff. So God sets forth his authority. He goes through this monotheistic mentality and he says, I am the God. Let's look at the meaning of the first commandment. And before we do, let's read the first commandment. Here's what God says, verse 3, Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. I'll read it one more time. You shall have no other gods before me. God speaking. And what's the meaning? We're to prioritize God as God. We're to acknowledge his presence. We're to affirm his power. And we're to obey his directives and his commandments. We're to worship God as God. We're to honor God as God because we have a slot in our lives, a space that's only reserved for the Lord himself. And he wants us to put him at that sole place in that slot. God's saying, don't waste your worship. Don't waste your worship on anything else that beckons you to bow down to it. We need to understand something. Ancient man was not into monotheism, which was a one God thing, and that's what God is asserting here, monotheistic God, one. Ancient man was into polytheism. And now polytheism simply means that, that man believed gods and goddesses were in a lot of stuff, that there was a god of the moon, a god of the sun, a god of the grass, a god of the weather. And it's also vital that we understand some of the polytheistic gods and goddesses, like Zeus. Zeus was very popular in those days. Zeus was a god of power and autonomy, and a lot of people bowed the knee to Zeus. There was also a god named Bacchus. Bacchus was the god of gluttony, the party god. There was a statue of him, this rotund figure with eyes kind of rolled back in his head with the glass in his hand. Oh yeah, that's, that, that's Bacchus. And believe me, a lot of people worship Bacchus. Then there's the goddess of Aphrodite. If you go to ancient Corinth, you'll see some hills. And years and years ago, on one of these hills was a temple. And temple prostitutes would kneel in front of the temple and they would write on the bottoms of their sandals, follow me. And large blocks of men, without a cover charge, would, would, would follow these prostitutes into the temple and have these giant sexual orgies. They also worshipped a, a god called Mammon. That's the god of material possessions and money and, and, and things. And then they worshipped... Athena. Athena was a polytheistic goddess of education and wisdom and knowledge. It's important that we understand these gods and goddesses. It's important to understand that ancient man was polytheistic. Now, now, now one would think 
in our sophisticated modernistic mentality that, that we would not be into idol worship. Surely we wouldn't be into that. I mean, we're too smart for that. Idols? Come on, man. Give me a massive break. But let me stop. You, you, you're still talking about retro. We're still into idol worship. We're still into polytheism. No, we're not into Zeus worship or the worship of Athena or Mammon or all the others because we've taken these gods and goddesses and changed their names and now they're operating under different aliases. And over the last couple of weeks, I just made up some of these gods and goddesses that I see in our polytheistic mentality. The first one is the worship of self. I call it selfism. Selfism. A lot of us are into selfism. Now, if you really think about it, selfism is something that's predominant in our world because it's when we turn and look at ourselves and begin to worship ourselves and we become our own idol. And we worship the trinity of ego, me, myself, and I. We, we, we become little demented deities, sovereignly ruling over our own little universe of self. Everything orbits around ourself. Uh, what's, what's in it for me, you know? What makes me look good? What charges me up? What gives me pleasure? It's a very meistic, selfistic mentality. Oh yeah, it sounds a lot like Zeus worship, but it's called selfism. You see, a lot of us have those idle minds. Selfism. The cry of our culture says, hey man, you gotta do what's good for you. People say, well, you know, I've gotta do what best fits me. If I feel like it, I've got to do it. You know, I've got to go with my heart. I have got to go with my heart. It sounds cool, but it's meistic and selfistic. We've taken our feelings and put our feelings at such a forefront in our mentality that our feelings have knocked away the truth. They've knocked away facts. They've knocked away reality, and we just go by feelings. And this mentality, I've got to do what I've got to do, has caused us to jump out of marriages, to bail out of careers, and even to turn our back on fellowship with God. Well, I've got to do what I really feel. You know, my feelings are what's important. Say, what? I didn't feel like putting 30 hours of research in this weekend's message. I don't always feel like loving my wife like Christ loves the church. I don't always feel like telling the truth. I do it. Why? Commitment. And so do many, many of you. But I've got to be honest with you, you know, selfism is a tough thing for me. It's a tough thing for all of us. I'm not saying, nor is the Bible even hinting that we should have a poor self-esteem or self-concept. We're made in the image of God. And God did not make junk. We're special. We were bought with a price. And God loves you and me more than we can ever comprehend. And he wants us to have a healthy view of ourselves. And a great self-esteem is seeing yourself the way others see you? No. 
seeing yourself the way God sees you. But we have to fight off selfism. It has permeated our lives and our culture. There's another polytheistic mentality that we're perpetuating. I call it thrillism. Yeah, there's selfism, but there's also thrillism. What, what, is, what is thrillism? Thrillism is that mentality that searches for that rush, that high, that experience that gives us fast, temporary relief from the pains and the problems of life. Thrillism. So what do we do? We sail and ski and fish and hunt and shop and travel ourselves into oblivion. We're thrillistic. We're pleasuristic. And a lot of parents get into this. And a lot of parents, I've seen, take their children on a safari of stimulation. They go from this video game to that video game, this sports team to that sports team, this practice to that practice, this school to that school. And we so have enveloped and insulated our children with thrillism that they don't know which way is up. Dr. Ronald Dahl of the Pittsburgh Medical Center told Newsweek magazine in December 15, 1997, these words. He was talking about thrillism. He said, surrounded by ever greater stimulation, their young faces were looking disappointed and bored. I'm concerned about the cumulative effect of years at these levels of feverish activity. It's no mystery to me why many teenagers appear apathetic and burned out with a been there, done that air of indifference toward much of life. Earlier this week, I was on a Delta flight writing this message. And I was praying and asking God for the words to say, and I'd written out selfism. And I was thinking about something that kind of really fit our mentality of, of pleasure and adventure. So I said, Thrill. So I wrote down thrillism. And when I wrote down thrillism, my, my mind began to wander for a second. And I looked at the guy seated next to me because he was reading a USA Today. In fact, this exact paper, because I, I got it from him. He gave it to me. And, and, and um, when he was reading the USA Today, I kind of glanced and, and I saw this in blue headlines. You know, only the USA Today has blue headlines. It says, high risk CEOs. Why billionaire executives seek the ultimate thrill? And then I underlined this, and I want to share this with you. I'm really excited about it. This is the heyday of the CEO thrill seeker, says Mark Bryant, editor of Outdoor Magazine. Have you read Outdoor Magazine, anybody? That's a cool magazine. Raise your hand, Outdoor Magazine. Well, you're missing a great treat. The idea of man conquering nature or seeking a sense of conquest is outmoded for most people. Bryant says, but for CEOs, it's still a viable means of self-expression and measuring one's worth. The whole outdoor adventure thing has never been in vogue as much as it is now. Well, granted, most of us cannot do what these billionaires do, but we still chase thrillism. Our thrillistic mentality is just a microcosm of theirs, but we still chase it. Again, I go back to God's word. Has God designed us? Has God fashioned us as human beings to never, ever experience the thrills and chills of life? Does he want you and me never to get in on pleasure? Does he kind of say, no, 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 thrillism, don't get into thrillism. 
Well, he does not want thrillism to become our God, but God does want us to experience adventure and a lot of good stuff in life. But with God, it's always pleasure within parameters. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Pleasure within parameters. Everybody's not doing it. There you go. Pleasure within parameters. For example, God has given us the gift of sex. I woke four or five men up. What? <laughs> sex is a gift from God. It's a pleasure-driven thing. However, the parameters of sex happen to be one man, one woman in marriage. Anything outside of that is committing cosmic treason before God. God's given us the pleasure of taste. A lot of us experience the pleasure of taste over the holidays, haven't we? Have you ever thought about how boring it'd be if everything tastes the same? You go to Sonic, order number one, everything tastes like cardboard. Go to Joe T. Garcia's, there's some good Tex-Mex food and everything just tastes like cardboard. Nah, it'd be boring. But, but God's given us taste, and this is a pleasuristic thing he's given us. And, and, and we can go to Sonic and, mm, oh boy, that number one, oh, yeah, that, that, that good Sonic, you know, beef and, and the lettuce and tomato and, oh, it's, mm, and that, that, oh, the crushed ice, woo-hoo, and that soft drink. <laughs> oh, ah, I love it. I'm getting hungry right now. Go to Joe T. Garcia's. Those nachos with that cheese dripping off of the fried tortillas with that little jalapeno that really makes it, mm, gives it a bite. Whoa, we love Joe T. Garcia's. Remember I said, and you told your neighbor, pleasure within what? Parameters. Well, the problem comes in as far as eating when we get into gluttony. When we just live at Sonic. When we live at Joe T. Garcia's, when every day we're just going, nah, 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 we're like a bunch of blue sharks in a feeding frenzy. I mean, that's a sin before God. Thrillism. Has that become your God, little G? Do you just move from game to game? Fun fix to fun fix, activity to activity. Is that your deal? There's another aspect of polytheism in our modernistic mentality. I call it possessionism. Possessionism. Now, possessionism is something that's really sly because a lot of us lay awake at nights dreaming and scheming about ways to collect more and more things. And we stalk stuff. I've got to have the next outfit, the next house, the next boat, the next piece of jewelry, the next, the next, the next, the next. And the thing about it is, possessionism always beckons us with one four-letter word. No, it's not a cuss word. We'll talk about cussing in a couple of weeks. More. M-O-R-E, more. You need a little bit more. One more. You're one acquisition, one deal, one investment away from nirvana. And the possessionistic mentality possesses us. And it's pretty much the desire to acquire has gone haywire. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, we would say, no, no, no. My possessionistic, not me. I love the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm monotheistic, not polytheistic. But a lot of us are just playing games. We're thinking that things will satisfy 
What does the Bible say about possessions? The Bible says possessions are good when they don't possess us. God's blessed many of us. Some of the matriarchs and patriarchs listed in Scripture were power players. They were wealthy men and women. But they had wealth. Wealth did not have them. But possessionism is something that's alive and well. A lot of us are bowing at the feet of commerce and just thinking about cash and money and the things. There's one more that I see, and then we'll stop and do something else. It's the last of the polytheistic gods that we worship. Knowledgeism. Knowledgeism. Do you ever worship knowledgeism? We, we, we bow before these pristine labs and we listen to professors perpetuate their mentality from their bully pulpits and we say, oh yeah, okay, knowledge is it. Education is it. Man, I've got to get all this stuff and all these facts. I've got to have it downloaded in everything that I do. Knowledge is wonderful. Facts are great. But education isn't the deal. It's not the deal. I've gone to junior high school. I've attended high school. I got my undergrad at Florida State and a small school in Houston. I've done some master's work and doctrinal work. And I'm glad I've learned from a lot of people, but education does not measure the most important things in life. It does not measure vision. It does not measure creativity. It does not measure endurance. It does not measure people skills. And the last time I checked, those are the most important things it takes to succeed. So knowledge is fine. Knowledge is good, but knowledge has become a God to us. Now, now let me stop here and ask you, don't you see how much this sounds like Zeus worship? Don't you see how this sounds like worshiping Aphrodite, Bacchus, Mammon, and Athena? Well, we hadn't changed. Nothing's new. Same old, same old for us. We're still plagued by polytheism. Do you ever watch VH1? Raise your hand, VH1. I watch it. You know, I love to watch, a lot of you aren't being honest. I'm, I'm not going to say I watch VH1 in church, Jack, not me. Yeah, you do. I love VH1, and I especially love the deal like behind the music. You ever watch that rockumentaries, you know, where are they now? I've, I've, I've watched a lot of them lately, you know, KC and the Sunshine Band. Boy, I'm talking, talking about a classic. Leonard Skinner, Motley Crue, um, Ted Nugent, who else? Van Halen, all, all, all those people, you know. And, and these, these rockumentaries are, are, are incredible because they really do a great job of chronicling what the bands or artists have gone through. I mean, whether it's Stevie Nicks or, or Peter Frampton, you know. And you're kind of just checking it out. And it's really captivating. But after watching all of this stuff during the holidays, I begin to see patterns, obvious patterns. I begin to see these polytheistic Musicians chase after selfism and thrillism and possessionism and knowledgeism. And, and as you look in these people's eyes, you can see the hollowness, the, the, the emptiness, and it's so sad because there's not a person here 
who's going to have the availability like those musicians had to chase these polytheistic gods. So if you, you want to know what it's going to be like to really get into thrillism or selfism or possessionism or knowledgeism, if you want to see what the ultimate is, just watch VH1. Because it shows you that these gods and goddesses will not come through when they need them the most. I mean, when you really need it, selfism doesn't satisfy. When, when, when you're really down, possessionism doesn't do it. When you're, when you're feeling kind of low, all these gods and goddesses don't work. Knowledgeism? No. No. And that's the mentality behind this directive. God says, prioritize me as God. Worship me and me alone. God says that. Now, now what's, what's the mentality behind it? Why did God say this? Why was God into the monotheistic thing? Was he trying to corner the spiritual market? Uh, was God worried about his uh, divine ego being bruised? Why did God say these words? I'll tell you why. God did not want you, nor did God want me to be disappointed because these gods and goddesses, I'll say it one more time, will not come through. They don't have the octane. They don't have the RPMs to help and to really see us through and to give us direction and to read on life like God does. That is why he set forth the first commandment, to save you and to save me from boatloads of pain and suffering. My mind turns to Psalm 115. And think about these nameless, faceless gods and goddesses. Psalm 115, verses 5 through 8, I'll read. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. I love the mentality and the rationale of God. That's the kind of God we serve, a God of love, a God who wants to save us from all of this polytheistic problem. Well, now, the implications. I want to talk to you about the implications of this first commandment, and this is going to be quick. We're going to do quick, you know, little, little screen passes, and then we'll be through with this first session. How can this affect my life? I mean, how can I take this first commandment and make it real. I want to give you three things we need to do in order to prioritize God as God, beginning here, January 1999. Number one, accept God's review of you. Accept God's review of you. You know, near the end of year, a lot of companies and organizations do a review. And they'll, they'll take their employees in, and the employees will meet with their managers or presidents or CEOs or boards or whatever, and they'll do a review. And they'll go through the good points and the bad points, things you could improve on. They'll talk about goals and all of this, and you'll look to 1999 and get all fired up. And it's something that we do. It's something that's good to do. Evaluation. Well, God has done a review of you and you and you, and you, and we need to accept this review. The Bible says, talking about a review, that we've all messed up, that we're mistake-laden, that we're sin-driven human beings, and that we fall miserably short of God's standard of goodness. And some people walk around and say, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. I live by the Ten Commandments. 
And yeah, I, I might uh, break them now and then, but, but, but that's kind of my guideline. As long as the Ten Commandments are happening, hey, that is enough for me. Well, the Ten Commandments are great. They're, they're, they're phenomenal. But the Ten Commandments will not get you to where you want to go. They will not give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. You remember I said earlier that the children of Israel were in slavery? What happened to them? God emancipated them. And when God freed them up, then he led them through the wilderness to the base of Mount Sinai when they were doing the KOA thing. And then they received the law. First they were emancipated. First they were freed up. Then they received the law. If the truth were known, a lot of you here are in your Egypt of sin. You're trying to get by on works. At the end of your life, you're going to try to cut a deal with God. Hey, God, yeah, the Ten Commandments, I really tried to keep them. Okay, yeah, I had trouble with number one and number four, but I really tried, God. Yeah, God, please, you know, I, I, you know, I tried to follow you. It's not going to get you where you want to go. You're still bound by your performance. If you're enslaved in Egypt, if you're enslaved in your sin, you need to allow Jesus Christ to come into your life. Because I've got good news for you. He's already done the work to free you, to emancipate you. And if you say, Christ, infiltrate my life, then you're free from your Egypt. And then you see the Ten Commandments and the other principles and precepts from Scripture. And then you begin to live your life the way he wants you to live it. I ran into the coolest verse of Scripture this week in Galatians chapter 3. Verses 24 and 25. Listen to this. It says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You see, back in the ancient culture, there, there were attendants, custodians, slaves that worked for families, and their sole responsibility was to make sure the little children made it all the way to their schools safely. And the slaves would take the little children and lead the little children all the way to the master teacher. That's what the law does. The law shows me I'll never make it on this performance plan because none of us, not one person here, bats a thousand every time up to the moral plate. We all mess up. And the Ten Commandments, the law shows us that we can't make it through performance. But the law can lead us into a relationship with Christ. The Bible calls the law a mirror. I got another question for you. How many of you today spent some time looking in the mirror? Would you lift your hand? I think most everybody did. There's a few who have some, you know, rackhead going on with your hair up down, but I think most of you did. Now, when you looked in the mirror this morning, did anybody here take a drill and unbolt the mirror and begin to shave with the mirror? Anybody, you know, style their hair with the mirror? Anybody put on deodorant with the mirror? Anybody do that here? No, we didn't. The mirror shows us what we need to do. So we picked up the razor, the comb, the deodorant. We did something about it. So the Ten Commandments shows us, men and women, boys and girls, the futility of trying to achieve something. We're first saved by grace through faith. We're first emancipated by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, then we live for him. And the law shows us the performance plan ain't going to cut it. 
So accept God's review of you. And for a lot of you here, you have to take a tough look at your life because if you were to die right now, you're not sure where you would spend eternity. But the great news is you can nail that decision down in just a couple of moments. Here's a second challenge. Tweak the dials of change. Tweak the dials of change. As you think about this review, think about what areas you need to change. Do you need to change anything in your selfistic mentality? Are you into selfism? Are you a demented deity sovereignly ruling over a universe called me? Is that what you're doing? If you are, the Bible encourages you to tweak the dials of change, to become an others-centered person, to get outside of yourself and help others. Do we have any thrillism going on? Do we? Any, any thrillism? You're chasing this and chasing that. Sign up for the thrills and chills of walking with Christ. You're talking about adventure. You're talking about a risk. You're talking about a faith thing. It doesn't get any better than this. Well, well how about possessionism? Surely we don't have anybody who's into materialism here in the Dallas-Fort Worth theory, do we? If you're into possessionism, if your possessions have possessed you, if your desire to acquire has gone haywire, here is your homework. Become a giver. Every time I give something, every time you give something, it's a Chuck Norris kick, boom, to the money monster, to possessionism. Give. Give to others. Give to a local church. Give. The Bible talks about giving. It's the essence of our faith. How about knowledgeism? Are you bowing down at the feet of scientists and listening to professors perpetuate their take on life from their bully pulpits? Are you doing that? Hey, knowledge is fine, but... Why not say, I am going to learn some of God's word. I'm going to learn how to be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer. Won't you do that? Just, just, just tweak those dials of change. Tweak them. Tweak them. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We don't just say, uh, okay, uh, God, I'll, I'll love you and I'll you know, make up what I want to choose. I'll just pick and choose. For example, the, the commandments I'll follow. I like number two and, and num number eight's okay, but the rest, you know. No, no. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But first, remember, we have the love. We have the relationship happening. We're emancipated. And then he gives us the power to keep the commandments. One last screen pass, number three. Constantly check the rearview mirror of your life. Do we have any driving experts here? You know, when I was uh, 15 years of, old, years of age, my uh, parents tried to teach me to drive, but they got so frustrated and so freaked out that they called this guy called Tony Sellers because he had a company called EZ Method of Driver Training. And one day I was shooting basketball in the backyard, and this guy drives up in this little car, jumps out with a polyester jumpsuit on that says Tony, and he goes, Hello, Mr. Young. My name's Tony Sellers. Come with me, and I will show you the EZ method on how to drive. So I'm thinking, man, what have my parents done to me? Mom comes out, Ed, we, we decided to do this for you. I'm going, oh, my goodness. So I had to get behind the wheel with Tony Sellers for hours and hours and hours and look at that little, you know, nerdy jumpsuit and drive his old car. He would say, 
okay, he had to accelerate, accelerate, come on, accelerate, stop, stop, stop. And one time he had to, you know, override my brakes, you know, slam on brakes for me. But he would always tell me one thing. Ed, check in the rearview mirror, please. Every 30 seconds, check. Ed, you hadn't checked? Check. Ed, one more time, check. I said, I've got it, you know. I want you to check in the rearview mirror of your life because I'm going to do the same thing. Because if we put God in the top slot, if we worship God as God, honor God as God, if we put him in the place that's reserved for him, let me tell you what the evil one's going to do. The evil one will have something chasing God, trying to overtake God, trying to elbow God out, trying to take our sovereign Savior and put him on the back burner. And this God or goddess wants to run the show. I've got something chasing Christ in my life, and so do you. Well, you say, what? How do I know it? How do I know this thing's chasing Christ? It's trying to take the Lord away from the throne of my heart. How do I know what it is? I'll tell you how you know. You know, when you have an idle mind, not I-D-O-L, but I-D-L-E, you know, idle mind just kind of just, you're on idle, neutral, kind of just hanging out. What, 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 what occupies your mind? Just think about that for a second. What occupies your mind when you're just kind of less there, you know? Is it yourself? Your problem is selfism. Selfism is chasing you. Um, is it maybe the thrills and chills of life? Well, thrillism could be your deal. Or how are you thinking about things? Well, dreaming and scheming of acquiring things. Is, 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 is that it? That could be right there in second place. Or maybe it's knowledge. What is chasing you? Constantly look in the rearview mirror of your life. Because when you do, when you watch it like a hawk, when you check it out, it'll help you to reorganize and constantly reprioritize your life. So today, ladies and gentlemen, I pray that we've taken our shoes and turned them over and I pray that we've begun to polish our scarred up and scuffed up souls. Because this is going to be a 10-part process of polishing. Because when we really begin to polish our souls, no longer will we ever, ever deal with idle minds. Idle minds. Let's pray together. God, as no one is moving or stirring at all, I ask that we would bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. And we close our eyes and bow our heads, God, as a physical reminder that you are God and we are monotheistic, that you are the one who always comes through for us in this life and in eternity. We thank you right now, God, collectively for coming through for us by sending Christ to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death and to rise again. We thank you for this emancipation that, that, that occurred and that can occur because of Christ's work. We also, God, thank you for these 10 directives, these commandments that we're to live by. But Lord, maybe today, some of us have seen and recognized that, you know, 
we can't keep these Ten Commandments, that we break them and that they break us. And maybe some have realized that they're chained and enslaved in their Egypt and in their sin. I pray now that many would make steps to get freed up, that they would become emancipated. And, and, and let me tell you how to do it. You can do it right where you're seated by saying these words with me. You don't have to do it many times, it's just a one-time deal, but if you want to be free, just say these words with me. Just say, God, I admit to you that I'm in my Egypt of sin. I admit to you that I've tried to keep these laws and, and, and live by the Bible, Lord, and I know that's important, but that's not gonna get me to where I wanna go. I've gotta receive what you did. I've gotta have my sins taken care of. So just say these words with me. Just say, God, again, God, come into my life infiltrate me. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for all of my mistakes and foul-ups and sins. I turn from that and ask you to come into my life. I want to be free from my Egypt. Thank you for listening, and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.